stick with me today. All right, we're, we're in help with my finances sermon, and I promise you, you have probably never seen a sermon title quite like this. Um, I've been working kind of on and off all week long, trying to tweak, and where are you really taking this thing? But uh, today's message in this series, Help With My Finances, is a budget will set you free. I know you probably never thought of that in your life. A budget will set you free. That's right. I know the Holy Spirit will set you free. Jesus will set you free. But guess what? A budget will set you free as well. Now, I know I'm going to get some hollering and hooping and hollering over this sermon. I know. Careful. I know you're going to run the aisles today. But I promise you, this is a big deal. I offered to help anybody with a budget last week. I, I, three people, three, one couple and two other individuals took me up on it. I sat down with them, and you should have seen the one person when she realized how much money she had every month, and, and, and she, could, she just said, I, I didn't think I had any extra money. She couldn't believe how much extra money she had to be able to save. She was blown away. I worked with three different people, and all of them, their budgets, they were blown away at how much money they have over the month versus what goes out. That's a good problem to have. How many know what I'm talking about? Because when Holly and I first got married, we had at the end of every budget for years, we had what was called a GOK fund. So we had what we got paid, we had our expenses, and then we had the GOK fund. And one day Holly said, what's the GOK fund? I said, God only knows. Because <laughs> God only knows where it's coming from. Now let me know what I'm talking about. Let's dive right in here to Proverbs chapter uh, 24, verse 3 through 4. Four, verse 3 and 4. I'm not sure why this microphone is going in and out today, but it is definitely not right. That's for sure. Um, Proverbs 24, 3 through 4. And when you have it, shout out a good amen. Or you can look on the LED screen and check it out. Amen. <laughs> now, I know that um, I know that this um, I, I know that this message is uh, this scripture is not talking about a budget, but the principles of it are. The Bible says, by wisdom, a house is built. I would tell you that by wisdom, a budget is built in a house, and that's how the house is built and sustained. And by understanding, it is established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. There's something about wisdom and understanding that comes from a budget that's going to help you get further along in life. And I'm going to flesh this out and give you some examples here today. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence, God. You have, you have poured out your spirit. You have poured out your spirit on us today. What a gentle, sweet move of the spirit. We thank you for this. And God, for the next few moments, I pray you arrest our attention. I pray you'd anoint me to communicate it as you have tweaked it all week and gotten us where I think you want it. Anoint me to speak forth your word, not in word and tongue only, but also in power and in deed. And God, I pray, Father God, your fresh anointing just break and destroy every yoke of bondage. Speak to us now in Christ's name. And everybody said, amen. Hold your Bibles up in whatever form you have and let's boldly declare, Father, today, this week, by your grace, I'm going to be a doer of your word. And not a hearer only, deceiving my own self. Now, Lord, anoint my ears, anoint my heart, anoint my spirit, my soul, 
my mind, and my body to receive the truth of your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen, amen. High five somebody and say a budget will set you free. Twenty-seven years ago, maybe a little bit more, Holly and I were newly married. Caitlin was uh, on the way, and we had no money. We were trying to finish two years of school at Lee University, and um, we just simply didn't have anything. I mean, we didn't have two pennies for nothing, and we were struggling. And we were in church, and I'd gotten really hooked into church, and, and I can remember my little tiny paycheck working security at night, and uh, we had a choice. We, we were down to, this will give you a good idea where we started, we were down to about a half a loaf of bread and some peanut butter in a jar. That's what we had. We didn't have other stuff in the cabinet. That's what we had to survive on. And uh, we had a choice to make. We could go buy a little groceries or we could write out a tithe check. And we both decided that morning that we were going to honor God and we were going to put Him first and we were going to put our trust in Him. We were going to let Him work it out. And so we wrote out the tithe check knowing doing that. We don't, I don't think it's my mic. It's something with the whole system because it's doing this on this as well. I'm going back to my other one. Um, I don't know what's happening here today. Huh? It's worse on mine? Well, we'll keep it up like this. I don't know what. The devil has attacked Jesus. Devil, get out of the woodworks. How many mics am I going to go through if we get to one? Which one you want me to do? Okay, let me turn it back on. Sorry, if you're watching online, we're having technical difficulties all day today, and there ain't nothing we can do about it. All right, let's try it again. All right, and so we wrote out our tithe check, and we sat and stared at each other, and we literally didn't have any other food to eat. There was nothing in the refrigerator. There was nothing at all in the cabinets, and we just said, well, God, you're going to have to help us, and you're either God or you're not. And you said this is one area in our life we could test you. And that's what we're going to do. And so I'll kind of tell you how it ended in a little bit. But I want to tell you, Jesus taught us the principle of a budget. Again, he's not talking per se about a budget here. But the principle applies in Luke chapter 14, verse 28 through 30. Look what it says on the screen. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not sit first sit down, watch this and tell me if it doesn't sound like a budget to you, and calculate the cost to see if he has enough money or enough to complete it. Doesn't that sound like a budget to you? Sit down and see where you're at. Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. So what are some things that a budget helps you do? Well, the first thing that a budget helps you do, poke your neighbor and say, a budget helps you make priorities. A budget helps you make priorities. A budget helps you decipher what is most important. Webster defies, uh, defines priority as precedence in date or position or publication. Superiority in rank 
position, or privilege. So there are, are some privilege, uh, priorities that all of us need to have. So what's a priority we need to have in the church? Well, the first priority above all in every aspect of our life, not just with our finances, but in our life in general, is put God first. Come on, shout that with me. Say, put God first. How do we put God first financially? Well, the answer is ties and offerings. It is a tangible way to say, God, you are number one in my life. And I love that God chose, God could have picked whatever he wanted, but he chose 10%, and I think he did that so that whether you're wealthy or you're poor or you're middle class, it doesn't matter. It is fair to everyone. Somebody say amen. He's the one decided, so it's fair. One guy came up to the pastor up front, and he said, Pastor, he said, when I was writing $50 a week, tithe checks he said it was it was easy he said then God blessed me and I got up to a hundred dollars a week tithe checks he said you know I didn't have a problem with that he said but pastor he said now he said my tithes every week is a thousand dollars a week and he said I'm just having a hard time writing that much money uh, to, for tithes he said I'm struggling with that can you pray for me <laughs> and the wise pastor said sure he said, Lord Jesus, he was comfortable paying $100 a week tithes, but he's very uncomfortable paying $1,000 tithes. Lord, bring his income back down to a level where he's comfortable paying his tithes. I don't know about you. you I'm happy to write a $1,000 tithe check. Praise God. The first portion belongs to God. We find that with Cain and Abel 2,500 years before there was a law. Tithing is way before the law. It's law and it's New Testament. You show when you tithe how thankful and grateful you are to God for your income by what you do with the first portion. Have you ever been blessed with unexpected income? Maybe a big blessing you weren't expecting, an inheritance or some kind of bonus. You know, did you, let me ask you this. Did you show God how thankful you were for that surprise by giving him tithe? Tithing shows how grateful you are for the abundance that you live with. Somebody say amen. If you live in America, you are wealthier than four-fifths of the world. If you are on welfare in America, you are wealthier than four-fifths of the world. One-third of the world will go to bed hungry tonight. While we have plenty of food in our refrigerators and our cabinets, long are the days for Holly and I where we had a half a loaf of bread and some peanut butter. The average annual income, these are the latest numbers. I just want to give you an example of the abundance we live in in America. The average income per year in the United States is $70,000. That's, that's household income. Well, let's see what some of the other countries are. Let me just throw out some here. The average income per year in Germany is $52,000. So we're already way ahead of Germany. The average income per year in Israel is $49,000. Israel's doing pretty good, amen. Average income per year in France is $43,000. The average income per year in Poland is $16,000. I just want you to see what some of these countries deal with. The average income per year in Mexico is $9,000. Remember, what was America at? We were at $70,000. Mexico's at nine. 
Ukraine, it's $4,000 a year. Let's keep going. India, $2,000 per year, household income. Cambodia is $1,500. Sudan is $670. Afghanistan brings in $500 a year annual income to their household. We bring in $70,000 on average income in America. Now, that's across the board. That's from the wealthy billionaires down to those that are the most destitute. How many would say we live in abundance based on what the other rest of the world lives like? Tithing says, God, I thank you for the abundance in which you've blessed me. You show God that he is the first priority in your life by giving him the tithe first. Malachi 3.6, watch what it says here. For I am the Lord, I do not what? Change. So he's setting us up for something. He says, I don't change. And then in verse 8, he begins to lay out something for us. Will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me? But you say, and what have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. God is answering the question here. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this. Now, the storehouse is basically the local church where you're worshiping, where you're getting fed, where you are lining yourself. He goes on to say, and this is a very exciting verse, two verses to me, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 11 through 12. If you'll go on, oh, oh excuse me, he, you go back to verse 10. We didn't finish. It says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven. How many would like for God to open the windows of heaven? And pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. In other words, you'll have more than what you even need. How many of you would say, sign me up, I want to be part of that? So watch verse 11 and 12. This gets even more exciting to me. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field. Leave this up for just a second. You can go to verse 12 then we'll bounce back. And all nations will call you blessed for you will be a delightful land says the Lord of hosts. All right, Brian, I know I've got you going crazy today but if you'll go back to verse 11 I want you to see something here. He says, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. I want you to see this. God said he would rebuke the devourer for your sakes not even the kingdom's. Let me say that again. He will rebuke the devourer for you, your sake, not even the kingdoms. We read it sometimes like, oh, it's all about the kingdom, and it is. But in this scripture, he says, if you'll give me tithes and offerings, I'll rebuke the devourer for your own sake. I believe, listen, I believe wholeheartedly in taking authority over the devil. I believe in declaring the Lord rebuke you and the blood of Jesus is against you. However, according to the scripture in Malachi, tithing is better than you standing in the corner and yelling at the devil. Let me say it again. Tithing is better than you standing in the corner and yelling at the devil. Why? Because all I got to do is honor God with tithe first and he rebukes the devil for me. That's a great deal. 
I'm going to say it again. All I got to do is give God tithes. And God says, okay, well, when the devourer comes to try to take, I'm going to rebuke him for your sake. Woo, glory to God. I don't even have to raise my voice. I don't even have to say nothing. All I got to do is honor God with his tithe, and God takes care of it. It's one thing for you to declare the word of God to the devil. It's another thing for God to stand and say, uh-uh, don't you mess with them. <laughs> it's one thing for us to say, the Lord rebuke you. It's another for the Lord to say, I rebuke you, now get out. Woo, somebody say amen. 25 years of ministry, here's what I've always heard. I heard Robert Morris even say this, and I have found the same testimony. You got on one hand tithers, and they always say the same thing. I'm so blessed. How many say that? I'm just so blessed. On the other hand, non-tithers, here's what they always say. I just can't afford to. Now take the scriptures out. Take the Lord out of the whole equation, and let's just look at this logically. I'm so blessed... I can't afford. Yeah, I feel like Forrest Gump. I ain't the smartest guy. But I think I'd like to be in the I'm so blessed pile of people. I'm so blessed, I can't afford to. I think I'd rather be over here on this side where it says, hey man, I'm just so blessed. How many know what I'm talking about? Do we have any I'm so blessed people? If so, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Now listen, God's not going to curse you if you don't tithe. You already and I already live in an earth curse system. But when you give God tithe, he redeems you and your finances from under the curse. When you obey God's tithes, he says, well, you know, it formally you, you do live in the earth curse system, but now because you tithe, you tap into another system, and no longer are you walking in a curse system. Now you're walking in a blessed system. Is this the word of the Lord? Tithing is returned to God what's his, and God's serious about it. I read a story recently of a missionary was in the car and they were riding down the road and the pastor admitted that he was not a tithe pair. And the missionary goes, stop the car. Serious, serious could be. He said, stop the car. And the pastor pulled over. He said, what's wrong? He said, brother, he said, if you'll steal from God, ain't no telling what you'll do to me. You get me out of this car. My first post as a youth pastor 25 years ago, we were just learning the ministry, and the pastor we worked for was very non-confrontational, very gentle. He would never, he just was, he just would never even think to be teach or preach anything that would be a little uncomfortable, even. And he brought an evangelist in, and this, this evangelist was a wild man. Him and his wife, they drove an RV around. They'd park that RV right outside the church, and they lived in their camper right in the church parking lot all week, and they'd do revival and go to the next one. Well, he's preaching away one day about halfway through one night. And, uh, you know, it just, you know, it just, it, it was, honestly, it was like Charlie Brown's teacher. You know, wah, 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 wah. And I guess he could feel it too. And he called his wife's name out right in the middle of the sermon. He said, you got your pocketbook? And everybody went. He said, did you lock the RV door before you came into church? And everybody's like, what is he talking about? He said, because we got some thieves in the house. He said, they'll steal from God. You better know they'll steal from us. Keep your pocketbook close, honey. Oh, like. 
I was 23-year-old youth pastor. I went to the pastor afterwards. I was like, whoa, that was awesome. He goes, well, I don't know if that's, I don't think so. <laughs> a budget helps not only make God the priority, but it helps make giving a priority. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Watch what it says here, and I want you to see the beginning. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And the highlight there is that we love to give, and we should love to give. We should want to give. But did you know that God said the first five words, each of you should give? Tithing is not giving. That's returning to God what's his. Giving is over and above the tithe. And that just says, God, you've been so good to me, I just want to give to you and your kingdom. How many have the heart that want to give? Giving is over and above your 10% and should flow from a heart of gratitude and thankfulness for all God has done for you. So the tithe goes to the local church. Offerings can go above that, giving above that to missionaries, to wells for water, to all kinds of things that you can do for the kingdom of God. So I like to say it this way. When you start tithing, it's like you plant a garden in your backyard and the deer and the animals are coming eating up all your vegetables. And so you build a fence around it so no longer... Can what you have get taken from you? You just rebuke the devourer. But when you give offerings over and above tithes, it's like putting miracle grow on it and you get more growth for what you have. So tithing builds a fence. Offering brings growth. Somebody say amen. I might call a song. We might have to sing a little juke. Tithe builds a fence. Giving brings growth. Tithing builds a fence. Giving brings growth. Look out. We might write a song. Let me do it one more time. Tithing builds a fence. Giving brings growth. How many would sign up for that? Somebody say, yes, yes, I'm in. We received money one time when we were in college, and we had enough to pay our school bill, and we were in need of a washer and dryer. We were doing the quarters at the laundromat thing, and so we went, able, we went out and bought a washer and dryer so we could do our clothes at home. And we still had $500 left over. And, you know, the two poor college kids, boy, that was the world. And we went to church Sunday, and wouldn't you know, man, we had our tie check wrote out. We had an extra $500, and here they come. They built this wagon thing. It was going to be Sunday school on wheels. And they're going, to, they're going to go out in the community and minister to children on the streets and in the projects. And we need to raise some money for this. Here's what it's going to cost. Think of the souls we're going to reach and the lives we're going to touch. And I just felt, God, hey, you know that $500 you got? I was like, what $500? <laughs> so, man, I went to Holly. And, man, next thing you know, we gave the $500. That's, that's been our heart since day one was to be able to give. John Wesley used to teach a three-part series on money. It was one of his greatest known messages was the use of money. And in it, he said, number one, gain all you can. Everybody say, gain all you can. John Wesley believed, the great revivalist, that we ought to make money. And it was an argument for industriousness and working hard and cleverness and, it, and it, you being clever and working hard and these things. And he used Luke 16, the parable of the shrewd manager. To him, 
He said there's nothing wrong with making money. As a matter of fact, every Christian has a bounden duty to make as much as they can. That's what he taught. And himself, John Wesley, listen, way back in the day, in the high, he was one of the highest earning preachers of all times. In today's standards, his highest year of earning money, he made $1.5 million from donations, speaking, penny tracks, books, all those kinds of things. Then he said, we got to save all we can. So gain all you can and save all you can. Everybody say, save all you can. Now, this might not be what you think. What Wesley meant was be careful in your spending. The point was to be frugal. He taught Christians and even warned them that to spend too much on the sensuous was not right. Don't do it. Bottom line, he said, smart shopping. Don't waste money. And he would take his first two points and say, man, you need to go out and make all you can. And then you need to be frugal with what you have. Save all you can. And he would then answer the big question, why? What's the purpose? He said, number three, and this is the base for it all, give all you can. Everybody say, give all you can. This was his motivation for his view on money, and it was the trilateral base for the whole thing. He said, you give to yourself what you need for the basics of living. He said, then you take care of your family and employees if you have a business. Do them right. He said, then give to the household of faith. That's other Christians in need. And then finally, he said, of all people in need, which includes the poor and the needy, everybody give to them. And you know, he lived it. In the year he made today's equivalent of $1.5 million, he lived off 2% of his income and gave away 98%. No wonder he was such a revivalist. As a matter of fact, in John Wesley's lifetime, he earned the equivalent of $30 million. And when he died, he left behind a few miscellaneous coins and a couple of silver spoons. He had given away all the rest for the kingdom of God. Would it be all right if God funneled $30 million through you? Would you live off 2% and give away 98%? Point number two, a budget makes things clear. It helps you see things clearly and objectively. It takes the fog away. Man, it was so clear for one little girl. Her daddy gave her two $1 bills. He said, $1 for you to spend on whatever you want. The other dollar is, is God's. It goes to God on Sunday. She was so excited, she ran down the block heading to the candy store. On her way, she tripped and fell, and one of the dollars went down the drain culvert. She stood up, dusted her pants off. She said, well, God, there goes your dollar. <laughs> a, a budget helps get spending under control. You know, last week I mentioned one couple, they got together on their budget, and they were spending over $900 a month eating out. That's clarity. That, that clears it right on up, doesn't it? <laughs> A budget helps us live within our means. The old adage, you can't spend more than you make. And remember last week, we talked about don't run credit card debt up. I, I know you get points, and I do the points thing, and we do as a church. We did, the whole staff just went on a, to a conference, the Gateway Conference in September, mostly on all points from the credit card we use. We don't ever pay interest or nothing. But don't you know credit cards have figured this out? Did you know that 86% of credit card holders actually carry a balance and pay interest? Only 14% have the discipline to never have a balance. So credit card companies have said, we'll eat on the 14% because we know we're going to live large off the other 86%. How many know what I'm talking about? See, a budget will show a clear path 
to paying off debt. I just helped a couple this morning with this. Use the snowball method, right? You take the lowest debt, you pay it off, you add that money to this next debt, and then you just keep going till you pay it. So, for example, if you owe a credit card company $50 a month, and you owe another little personal loan $100 a month, and your car payment is $400 a month, but you have an extra $100 a month to your budget, well, then you take that $100 and add it to the $50 till you pay the credit card off. When you do that, now you have $150 to add to the $100 personal loan. You pay that off. Now you have $250. You ain't changed your budget yet. And now you're adding that to the car payment. So instead of making $400 a month, you're making $650. And you're paying it off early. How many say, somebody say amen. We are waiting sometimes in the church for this great windfall of money. But it is done little by little, steadily and deliberately. Proverbs 6, 6 through 8 says this. Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief officer or ruler prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. It's the principle of the ant. How does an ant build a house? One grain of sand at a time. How does an ant colony eat? One grain of food at the time. It's the same way when we're getting out of debt. Every month paying down debt diligently and steadily like the ant until it's all gone. Somebody say amen. It works the same way when we build into our retirement. One month at a time, diligently putting money little by little until we see when we get to the time retire, we can actually retire and we have something. So point number three is this. A budget helps you create unity. Everybody say it creates unity. A budget opens dialogue, sometimes passionate dialogue, between one or more parties. <laughs> sometimes it will release a heated discussion between husbands and wives. Because when you only have so much money, you both can't have everything. And in any relationship, there's give and take. Have you ever thought about these two scriptures when it applies to money? Ephesians 5 and 22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And then Ephesians 5, 25, when I, we're missing, we'll go back, Ephesians 5, 25. Is there no Ephesians 5, 25? Okay, I'll just say it. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Did you know that dying and submitting works in a budget and a marriage as well? Let me say that again because I'm getting funny looks. Sir, you die. Ma'am, you submit. I don't have a problem telling you, ladies, I, I don't feel for you one bit that you have to submit to your husband. You the one picked, her, picked him. You chose it. You got him. Do you know why I'm not bothered by you submitting? Because the Bible tells me I got to die. All you got to do is submit. I have to die. But if I'm dying in the marriage on the budget side and she's submitting, is there ever going to be a problem with the budget? Is there ever going to be a problem in the marriage? No. If you come to my office with marriage problems, I'm going to tell you right up front, you're not dying, you're not submitting. That's the problem and why you're sitting here in the office. We need to learn, gentlemen, to die and ladies to submit. Somebody say amen. 
That's how it's supposed to work. We all work together in this. Praise God. Somebody said, I better go on. It's getting hot up here. A budget helps create accountability. Are you putting God first? When you lay a budget out, the first expense should be tithes. It should not be mortgage, rent, car payment, electric, and all that. The first thing you see on your expenses line item ought to be tithes. Because what you want to see in written form is, God, you are first. If nothing else at the bottom of the sheet gets paid, I'm going to honor you with my tithes. Somebody say amen. For Holly and I, it's tithe, and it's all of our offerings that we do, and then it's down from there. A budget helps create accountability with who you're responsible with. If you're married, that's your spouse. Maybe your advisor. Someone so you're not the lone ranger. I had a couple come into my office one time, and he was hot as a firecracker, and I got him calmed down, and I said, what's the problem? He said, I'll tell you what the problem is. I'll go out there, and I'll work 70 hours a week, and she's lost her mind spending all this money. And I'm like, okay, let's just get to the bar. Calm down, calm down. You know, she's kind of shamed and humiliated. I said, what do you mean she's spending all the money? She went out and in one month's time put 65000 dollars on our credit card and ask her where it is I said well where is it she said I don't know she just bought stuff she didn't even know where it was I thought well, I'd be hot too <laughs> ask a trusted friend to hold you accountable maybe your small group leader someone you respect a budget helps create build character look dealing with finances the biblical way will mature you and build the character of God in you There are people that need to apply this next scripture to their lives financially. And in the church, I'm talking about the church in general. Look, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put childish things away. A budget says I'm no longer a child. A budget says, hey, I'm going to walk like God wants me to walk. I'm going to grow up. Somebody say amen. Amen. A budget helps create discipline in our lives that will carry over into all areas of our life. A budget's not evil. I love what Robert Moore says. He says, hey, when you get, you want it, you get the itch, sir, to go get you that bass boat. He said, I just tell the couples at church, you just go there. And he says, the wife, don't get an argument. Just say, honey, I would love for you to have that bass boat. But Mr. Budget said No. I'd love for you to have that new camper, but Mr. Budget said no. I know Mr. Budget, he's bad, but that's what he said. <laughs> Look, a budget's not the fun vacuum sucking the fun out of life. It's not evil, but it will take the stress out of your life. Somebody say amen. You know, we can eliminate the majority of the stress in our lives if we'll just get the area of our finances under control. A budget helps put you in the best position to give like you want to. So what I didn't tell you when we wrote that tie check and we stared at a half a loaf of bread and a little peanut butter, we got a knock on the door a few hours later. Her sorority sisters, Holly's in college, knocked on the door. We opened the door and it wasn't expected by it. And here she stood with three or four bags of groceries back when they were in paper bags. She said, listen, don't be offended by this, but we kind of had you on our hearts. And felt like we were supposed to bring you some staples and some food. Would it be all right? Would you accept it? We were like, you know, push her over and get to bring it in. (laughs) 
And God taught us right then, 27 years ago. Now, following that, we got some wisdom. Somebody said, well, you know, you're married and you've got a kid on the way. You're probably eligible for food stamps. You're trying to finish school. So we did. We went and got on food stamps. When Caitlin was born, we got on WIC. Got Caitlin got the government insurance. All She was all taken care of. Some of these programs, they're there for you to, to help you. I felt bad about it. My mom and dad said, hey, we paid taxes our whole life. Praise God, somebody in our family is going to get some advantage out of this. We were trying to finish college. We really desperately were in need, and that's, that helped us. Our heartbeat has been to give. Before you pull up the next slide, Brian, let me ask you something. And I've struggled with this all week. I have never done this in 27 years of marriage. I've never done this in 25 years of marriage, ever. I'm very sensitive about this. Holly, I tell you, I'm very private. But I have felt all week to show. Can I show you some things without you feeling like I'm being haughty or arrogant or bragging in any way? Can I just share my heart? Can I just show you what I feel like God wants me to show you? Would that be all right? Would you receive it and, and not feel like I'm trying to be prideful or anything? Because that by a thousand times, not my heart. I spent... I spent a lot of time on this week. I went back and looked up because I started remembering God, God was dealing with me. He said, you remember where you were? Yeah. So go back and start looking at the numbers. Now, this doesn't include tithes. These are some of the things that we've done. God has challenged us to give in. And I'm going to show you the different numbers and facts and figures. Compassion. Compassion International takes care of children. We started in 2007 supporting children. To date, we've given $9,121. We supported Azad in India for 10 years until they shut the program down in India. We'd write letters back and forth. We support now AXA. It's a young African girl, 12-year-old girl in Tanzania for five and a half years now. We write back and forth and have a relationship. We've supported Voice of the Martyrs since 2008. We've given $6,960. We've sent 1,160 Bibles into North Korea, China, India, um, Colombia, into countries that they can't, they're not supposed to get the Word of God. We send Bibles, six Bibles a month. We, a little bit. We didn't get a windfall of money and just send all this money. We did it month after month. We did it even when we had to work extra. We did it even when we've had to take pay cuts. We did it because we said God wants us to do it. Elam Ministries, we have given since 2014. We have given, that's the ministry to Iran. We've given $4,040. We've sent 673 Bibles into Iran. I'm not talking about the church has done this. I'm talking about me and Holly personally have done this. People for Care and Learning. That's an orphanage in Cambodia that I visited in 2009. We started giving in 2010. We've given $5,893. We supported a young lady there until she aged out. Now we're supporting another one. David George World Ministry since 2006. This is churches in Cuba and Dominican Republic that we support. We've given $10,903 since 2006. Voice of Evangelism since 2007, that's Perry Stone Ministries. We've given $4,985 because the gospel goes around the world. You'll notice everything we give to is about the gospel. King of Kings Ministry since 2014, that's a church in Jerusalem, a Christian church. I'm personal friends with the pastor. He's affecting the kingdom of God right in Jerusalem. We personally have given $6,100 
since 2014. His Harvest Ministries is a ministry that we work with in Honduras. And since, I can't remember the year, I didn't write it down, but we've given $1,950. That is not even counting. I didn't have time to go calculate the amount of money we've given for wells of water. $1,000 one time to give somebody to Israel that was wanting to go. L.A. Dream Center offerings. We've given three vehicles away. One little girl, she had a car in Virginia, and she couldn't even open her door or her window. She'd have to go out the passenger door. The thing was falling apart. It's icy and snowy. We had a car that we were trying to sell, and the Lord put it on us. We just gave it to her. You should have seen her face. She couldn't believe it. One time we sold a car. The church was in a bad place. And it was desperately needing money. And we had a car paid for, and we sold it. We made $6,200 off it. I gave every penny to the church to help the church out. Why am I saying all that? Because a budget has helped us do all of that. 27 years ago, I had a half a loaf of bread and a little bit of peanut butter. And Holly and I made the decision we were going to tithe and give and look where we are 27 years later. I drive two paid-for cars. I got everything paid for but my house. I'm about 12 years out. I'm praying that in the next two, God does a miracle. I, my prayer has been since the time I'm 50, let it be paid off. Look where God has brought us. And if you ask Holly and I right now, do you regret giving all that? Because that's, that's tens of thousands of dollars. No way, a hundred times, no way. You know what our answer is? We're so blessed. We are so blessed. I don't know why God had me do that. I don't like, I'm very, I don't like sharing those kind of numbers. And don't leave here and think, well, the pastor's bragging. No, it has nothing to do with that. I think what God wanted to say, if you'll trust God with nothing, Little by little, God will bless you until you're able to give stuff like that. Look, I'm praying I could give millions away. I pray I can live off 2% of my income. That's my heart. Where's your heart at? Because this is deeper than money. The question of the day is, is God first? I don't know how I was going to do this altar call, but here's how I feel like we need to do it. There's just something about getting out of your seat and coming forward. It's just a tangible, it's like writing out a tie check. It's a tangible way. To just say, God, I'm serious. If you're in here under the sound of my voice and you say, I'm serious. God, I want you first. I'd like for you just to empty out of your seat. 